0: Hello and welcome to disenfranchised we are a podcast as you might know because you're listening to us right now but we're a podcast that likes to talk about movies specifically movies that didn't get a franchise but boy howdy did they really want one like so bad Uh, I'm one of your hosts my name is Stephen Foxworthy and uh, joining me uh, there where he's just put on his suit and is sliding on those dark reflective glasses is my co-host Brett Wright hi Brett top of the morning Stephen And also with you, Brett, we are here uh, at the end of 2020, at the end of our theme month of Disney Plus December. We are here to talk to you about a movie that came out on Disney Plus in 2020, and it just typifies in every way what we consider a failed franchise starter. Uh, Brett, what are we talking about today? We're talking about 2020's Artemis Fowl. So this is the second time that we've done a 2020 movie in 2020. Uh, it's just kind of one of those instances where we can be fairly sure right from the jump that this movie's not going to get the franchise that it's clearly hoping that it's going to get for many reasons, which we will get into over the course of the next check the time on this episode and how much is left. That's when we're going to get into all of this. We're going to we're, we're going we're gonna to go, man. It's It's going to be a whole thing. But yeah, so 2020's Artemis Fowl uh, starring Josh Gad, Ferdia Shaw, Colin Farrell, uh, Nonzo Onnosi. I'm so sorry for getting that name horribly wrong. Uh, Judy Dench is in this movie. Who else is in this movie, Brett? So many people in this movie. Uh, I've never been good with uh,
1: actor names off top of the dome piece. Uh,
0: Lara McDonald is in this movie. She plays Holly Short anyway uh tamara smart uh I mentioned judy dench i don't know we'll we'll get to the others as we come come to them cuz uh, i mean oh boy this movie man we have some thoughts and feelings about this movie that came out earlier this year i am i'm just going to say for the record i had this movie on our list before it even came out on as as a list, on our list of movies to cover and Brett was like, are you sure we want to do that? And I was like, Brett, trust me. Trust me. This is not getting a sequel. And then it came out, and sure enough, this movie's not getting a sequel. Yeah,
1: If you want a textbook definition of how not to make a book-to-film adaptation, go watch this movie. Or just man, take it's our word
0: for it. Or just take our word for it. You definitely don't need to see this movie. You don't need to watch this movie. This movie is the textbook definition of a movie you don't need to see, which is why... Kind of why Disney dumped it on Disney Plus and didn't bother even thinking about attempting to give it a theatrical release, like it did with some other of its films that were set to come out this year. So, just saying, uh, yeah. Let oh man, this movie. So, um, Artemis Fowl, based on a series of novels, uh, young YA novels uh, by Owen Colfer, uh, who's an Irish author. Brett, what is your familiarity level with the Artemis Fowl series? Is that a series that you read when it was uh, when it was coming out? No, I did not. And that's really because I don't really follow YA fiction. I mean, to be clear, these books were kind of coming out around the same time as Harry Potter. I know of them mostly because I was working in bookstores at that time, both Borders and Barnes and Noble. I had jobs at both over the course of my life. Um, So I I knew about them for that. And it was always kind of described to me, I've not read them either, but it was always kind of described to me as um, kind of the opposite opposite number of harry potter in a lot of ways yeah here's the
1: really cool thing about artemis fowl because i have since gone back since this this movie is a good example of like you know you want an adaptation to make you go man this is really awesome i should go read the source material exactly um this does that but for the opposite reason this this makes me go man this is so bad i gotta go read what the books are like Cause I got to be better than this. Cause I got to be better than this. Um, so I went, I went and did research, and actually, you know, I haven't read them yet. I actually do kind of plan to to at least listen to them on audiobook wise. I have an Audible subscription, so why not? Might as well. Uh, so I might actually go. Nope. You know, go know back what and I listen. miss? You know what I wish was
0: still a thing? What was that libraries? Oh yeah, I mean, I would. I still totally. a thing. I mean. I, can you go to the library now can you still get books out of a library right now I, honestly that's, i don't know there's one like, i don't know there's one just right around the corner from me i should find out you should absolutely find out because here's the thing i let my library i i had a book out and i'm pretty sure my library card got canceled uh because i never returned it i need to just pay for that book and get my library card reinstated because uh i could i could actually be reading stuff in this pandemic instead of uh or you know Finding, you know, cheap ways to get access to movies instead of having to buy them all, you know, or rent them all on streaming would would be a great idea. Yeah. Or do what
1: I do and listen to them. Listen to movies? Well, listen to listen to books.
0: Sure. How much is your Audible subscription? I I don't know. I forget. I've got so many other subscriptions. I'm, I'm reticent to pay for another. I mean, it's comparable to your other ones. So okay, that's kind of what I was afraid of, but okay.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, you, again, you get you get a free audiobook every month. Uh, oh, m- monthly. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. And even, I think even
0: if your subscription lapses, you still get to keep all of the books that you've gotten. I mean, that is, I've heard that and I like that. That appeals to me. Yeah. Uh, I think I accidentally got one when I forgot to like cancel it before it re-upped or something. So I had one for like, a week or something. And then I got my, I have my free audiobook, which is, um, uh, infinite jest by David Foster Wallace because I was trying to read that and I'm like, this seems like the kind of book that would lend itself well to reading or to listening. And so I put it on, on like a three hour car trip once and listened to like three and a half chapters of, of infinite jest. But yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm currently using it to, uh, read through the Dresden file series again. Because a go. couple new books just came out, so ah, okay. Um, once I have gotten all of those, I'll, I might move on to uh, Artemis Fowl. Because let me get back
0: on track here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We um, derail this
1: as is my want. So, in the first book, uh, the titular main character is the villain. Uh, he so like this. This is such a weird adaptation. It's almost in name only. Um, so. The Fowl family are they're like a crime syndicate. Um the Ar- Artemis Fowl Sr. Uh, I believe runs a foul of the Russian mafia. He runs a foul? A foul. Uh, yeah, you saw what I did there. Congratulations. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh and is killed. Dude's dead. Um Well. And so uh Artemis Fowl Jr takes it upon himself uh, to uh, re, like reinstate his family's name um, because they're you know they're not as rich as they could be anymore so they, he wants to you know he wants to get back to the level of rich they were as you do so he he's he puzzles out that uh, fairies are real and their realm has a lot of access to very Uh, What's the word? Uh, Valuable materials like gold. So he decides to kidnap Holly Short uh, in an attempt to ransom her to the fairy realm because he wants wants
0: all that gold. He wants all that sweet gold. Which kind of happens in this movie, but really kind of doesn't happen in this movie. No, he kidnaps her. That's all. He does hold her for ransom, just not for copious amounts of gold. No,
1: and... And look, throughout the entire book, apparently, like I said, I haven't read it, but I've done you know research about it, uh, through the entire first book, dude's just a huge dick. Like, he Which is under- literally the antagonist of the first book, and he does not become better by the end of it.
0: Which, I mean, you can see why Disney would want to maybe shy away from that. But by the same token, maybe Disney shouldn't be the ones trying to adapt this either.
1: Yeah, and also what I'm confused by is you had, you had 23 million people because, you know, just sold 23 million copies this entire book series. You had 23 million people who have told you that that conceit works, that people are not stupid. They can realize that the main character can be a villain and change over time and become a better person because that's what happens over the course of this book series. He does become less of a dick. Um, he he becomes more of a hero he has a story arc oh my god um heaven forbid heaven forbid he's he's gotta start out you know like you know your regular run-of-the-mill main character of disney movie uh so yeah i I don't really understand why they didn't just want to lean into that and do something interesting and different
0: because brett it's disney and if disney is concerned about one thing it is brand management, buddy. That is what Disney is best at. And this is something we've honestly, I'm amazed we've gone this far into Disney Plus December and haven't talked about Disney's constant need for brand management. But it is, like I said, the thing that Disney is best at. That is the thing they do better than anything. They, they know what their brand is and they have honed it to a science
1: yeah well i mean i guess we've kind of we've kind of danced around it by talking about how safe disney wants to play everything
0: but yeah we've never really come right out and talked about the the brand management because i mean never before have never we have not talked about a property that seems so antithetical perhaps to the disney brand than this really i mean it's just it hasn't really come up yet we we did kind of get there a little bit the rocketeer like obviously disney can't let uh, you know, a nude model be the protagonist girlfriend, like it is in the comics. But you know, by by that token, why is Disney choosing to adapt something that just seems host, wholesale so wrong for them? And the answer, of course, seems to be the answer to most questions that we ask on this podcast: money. Good old money. This this book series was very popular. A lot of people really liked it. It made money. So Disney says, well, we buy the rights to this and we adapt it. We too could make some of this money. Um, But honestly, I can think, the only people I think who would not want to really uh, take a shot at this would be Warner Brothers because they've already got the Harry Potter franchise. And this would, like this book series was kind of a response to Harry Potter. And so you don't want to kind of cannibalize your own franchise. That I understand. But by the same token, I mean, paramount fox they probably just couldn't put up the money that disney could that's because because disney is so good at brand management they've made a lot of money doing it over the years and i mean they just bought fox out outright last year so presumably so they would have content for disney plus which they do lots of it so much as we discussed at the end of last week's episode they have yep. so much content they don't need anymore exactly there's so what, much what so much this? so much tv what
1: what if this what if this movie had been successful? Like now, now we'd have even more content,
0: even more content. Probably all re- released directly to Disney Plus. Um, it oh my gosh, it's crazy. Um, so yeah, this so this movie uh, very different from the source material. Um, the source material a little darker um, than a lot, a lot darker, a lot darker than it seems Disney is is ever willing to be. Um, usually the darker stuff goes directly to Hulu. Um, you know, all the stuff that they bought from Fox that doesn't really fit the Disney brand, all that's on Hulu. Um, all the FX stuff, all the, you know, a, a number of, uh, like the Deadpool movies are on Hulu right now because Disney owns Hulu, or at least a majority share of Hulu, which is why a bunch of TV stations are starting their own platform so they don't have to give money to Disney in order to air their own content. And, you know, nobody wants cable anymore, so they have to have their own streaming service. Correct. So now I'm, it, it's going to be the very wealthy individual who finds a way to consolidate streaming services and, and bundle a bunch of them into one. And I this is a tragedy. I think Disney's probably going to be the one to do it. They've already got two of the big ones, Disney Plus and Hulu. Warner Brothers has HBO Max, and they're kind of crap in the bed with that one, honestly, Um, after their decision to release all of their movies uh, for 2021 directly to streaming, not without theatrical uh, releases, but um, theatrical plus streaming. Doesn't seem like a great move. And, I mean, they're pissing off all their creatives too, so pretty soon they're not going to have people to make content for them.
1: Yeah, the decisions that some companies are making right now are not good for the number of different reasons.
0: I mean, well, and part of the reason that the Warner Brothers decision is happening is because AT&T bought out Time Warner. AT&T doesn't know anything about entertainment. They're a telecom corporation. Uh so they're investing and they they don't want to compete with you know, different studios. They want to compete with Netflix. So they're pouring everything into streaming as a way of as a way of competing with Netflix. And unfortunately, they're really going to end up tanking Warner Brothers, I think, and maybe HBO, even in the process. And also movie theaters, maybe, maybe I man, I there is I, I lament the possibility of the death of the theatrical experience, because there is nothing like going to a movie sitting in a dark room with a bunch of people and just you know eating some overpriced popcorn and drinking some overpriced soda in a big comfy chair surrounded by a bunch of people you don't know and just getting lost in a narrative together like i i lament even the I, the notion that that might be going away the last i don't think we ever talked about this the, what is the last movie you saw in theaters before the world shut down but <laughs>
1: I've I've tried to think about this actually, and I mean it was so long ago I don't remember. And also, part of me I remember vividly. Part of me doesn't. Part of me really hopes I'm wrong. Is the other thing that I don't that I I don't want to admit that the last movie I saw in theaters might have been the Grudge remake. Because my God, that was so bad. I remember you did not like that one at all. Oh God, it's so bad.
0: Like I, I remember after you saw it, you came and we're just like that's so terrible. I really hope it's not the last one I saw in theaters, but I think it was. Whereas the last movie I saw in theaters was the was actually one of my top five favorite movies of the last year. The Lee L's Invisible Man, much
1: better, much much better than The Grudge, much I mean,
0: much better. So, <laughs> I'm sorry, buddy.
1: <laughs> Please, movies don't go away. I need to see another one. I need I need to, I need to so see the last movie, movie you see in
0: theaters ever is not The Grudge. Oh, please God, please. Please God. <laughs> if there is if there is a God, please. There is. I don't know if he listens to requests like these, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, and so, but no, I mean like I love the theatrical experience like Endgame. Like I know it's kind of it's kind of recent in my memory, which is why I think about it as as being one of the great theatrical experiences, but I went and saw Avengers Endgame and there are moments where you're cheering in the theaters where, I mean, you and a bunch of other people are laughing at the same things and cheering at the same things. And even though you're all completely different people, it kind of brings everybody together in a really fun, really cool way um, that I miss. I miss being able to have those experiences. Um, You know, I miss being able to uh, you know, go and, and basically get a private screening of a, of a particular movie because you're going on the fifth week it's been out on a Thursday night and no one else is seeing this movie I've seen a few movies that way uh you know I miss it used to be a, a holiday tradition with my family we'd go see a movie on Christmas day uh, can't do that this year may not even see my family on Christmas Day this year of course Christmas Day is past as you're listening to this but future for us in the present but yeah
1: yeah our the wife and I's christmas tradition because all both of our families do all their stuff on christmas eve so we had to come up with you know a christmas tradition for both of us to do and every year it is we'll go see a movie in the morning go get chinese for lunch right down the road because those are the only restaurants that are still open on christmas day and then go see a second movie in the afternoon that is our christmas tradition it has been that way for the past five years and we're not going to be able to do that this year i mean we're going to do
0: so similar you can can stream some movies and like get chinese delivery but it's kind of not the same thing that is absolutely
1: not the same thing it's it's not the same experience and i I really hope that because look i i'm an introvert i don't like being around people but movie theaters are that's the perfect introverted social experience because yeah you're you're sitting in a dark theater you're surrounded by people you don't know but you don't got to interact with them you don't have to talk to anybody. Fact, you you're to. encouraged not to
0: talk to people.
1: Exactly. So you can you can have this shared experience with people while
0: also keeping to yourself. Yeah. It's great. I love it. Uh, and I mean, there's something also about seeing a movie on a big screen. Like movies play better on bigger screens. Um, so seeing, you know, I am bummed that I have never and potentially will never get a chance to see Tenet on a massive screen the way I know Christopher Nolan wanted it to be seen and the way I think it would probably look really freaking cool. I don't get to have that experience, which is kind of, I probably will see tenant for the first time on my TV when it starts streaming on HBO max. Sadly, like I I'm, I'm bummed about that because I think it would look freaking awesome on an IMAX screen. In fact, I'm positive. It looked really awesome on an IMAX screen, but with COVID cases on the rise and the state that you and I occupy being like, the worst one in the country right now uh, not a good idea to go to a movie theater no although they amc because I'm, I'm
1: i'm an amc steps member so they're right. marketing to me all the time not that um, that means anything anymore no well look, it means that they're gonna send you emails like maybe two or three times a week trying sure. to get you to come to the theater because they're hemorrhaging money sure um, i mean a lot of a lot of businesses are but them especially from from everything to hey, here's a free screening of Wonder Woman. Uh, to here's you know here's how you can uh, order a private movie screening for you and 25 people because uh, that's affordable now. Like they, that's the thing you can do. They've made that affordable. It's like right. It's like 150 bucks for 25 people to have their own up to 25 people. To have their own private screening, which it used to be easily four or five times that much, because you had to rent out a whole theater.
0: Sure, but they need money so bad. Yeah, i mean, And I'm not I, even
1: going to do that though.
0: Yeah, no, and and that, I mean that's just it. Like, it's it's almost impossible. And I mean, the uh, there are a lot of industries that are hurting right now. Film is just one of them. I know the travel industry is hurting a lot right now. Um, I you know healthcare I know is just like overwhelmed they're hurting for a completely different reason restaurant industries are hurting right now like a lot of places are are in dire straits and it it sucks well i mean the problem ultimately comes back to the government but it 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 hurts to see these experiences leaving us uh for for this reason like it it kind of kills honestly and and i i don't want to see them go i want but again i also don't want to put my health and the health of the people that I love at risk to go enjoy. I'm not selfish enough that I'm just going to go do the things I want to do just because I want to do them. Um, which ultimately, I think, sadly, is where some people end up putting their foot down, which is a tragedy in and of itself.
1: Yeah, very much so.
0: Um, I hope the theatrical experience is not gone forever. I I certainly want to see it stick around. I certainly want to keep seeing movies on projected onto giant screens. I want to continue surrounding myself with strangers in dark rooms, eating overly priced popcorn, you know, coated in the most unhealthy butter substitute imaginable. Like that's, that's something I want in my life. I don't want to get rid of that. I love movies and I love the theatrical experience of movies. I also love the theatrical experience of the theater. I don't want that to go anywhere either. Like I love, I love sitting in dark rooms, watching performances. Like it's a thing I really genuinely love to do. So I I don't want to see that go away. And uh, I, I, I know we're kind of deep into this episode now already, and we haven't really talked much about the movie, um, but um, it's, it's, it, you have to kind of, when you're talking about a 2020 movie, talk about kind of the state of the world as it is, um, movies streaming and the theatrical experience kind of dying. Um, you know, We had, have been uh, big proponents of drive-in theaters, but now that the weather's been getting colder, at least where we are, in some parts of the country, that might not be an issue, but at least where we are, uh, those experiences are no longer a viable option. Uh, so, theatrical experiences, kind of something we can't have right now. At least not until the weather gets a little warmer, or until this virus decides to go away, which will probably not happen soon because people keep being selfish. Yeah, even though they, you know, they approved a vaccine recently, but it just just shipped today. In order to put a timestamp on this episode, I just got news that the first shipment of it is leaving Pfizer uh, today. Uh, now we're likely not to get our, not going to get our hands on it. And I've heard the immunity doesn't last beyond 90 days. So herd immunity is going to be damn near impossible unless people actually, you know, do what they're supposed to do, which. They and won't. that
1: assumes everybody's going to take it and not think that they're getting a microchip put into their bloodstream. So yeah, we're not going to go back to normal, at least until you know, I think my prediction of June or later of next year is probably still going to
0: hold. And honestly, I think that's probably a uh, a fairly conservative estimate. To be honest with you, yeah, because the wife and I are currently planning on, you
1: know, doing um, the big gaming convention here in town in next August. Um, that might not happen. Still, it didn't happen, you know, this year. Tragically, um, and then we want to, you know, after all this is said and done, we want to travel so bad. You know, we're planning another trip to Japan next October. I'm not even sure that that's going to happen.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, and that's kind of where, Hey, the world's a mess. I, I'm not a planner by my nature. I'm not a planner, never really have been. Uh, So for me, I'm just kind of wait it out. Let's see what happens. Like, I don't want to like, cause then if I make plans, I'm going to probably have to cancel them. So if I'm not making plans, then I don't have to cancel anything. And I just, you know, stay here and chill and see where it takes me. But you know, by the same token you the depression hits and you want to kind of go and do literally anything other than stare at the same walls you've been staring at for the past nine months so i i understand that as well and i mean that's where we're at like we just we're sort of doing it to help us get out of the depression
1: like you know my my wife wants to is is definitely much more antsy about it she loves to travel way more than i do so i mean
0: honestly same. my that's kind of where my missus is as well
1: yeah so you know it helps to plan stuff even if it doesn't happen you know it gives you something to look forward to because
0: god knows this year has not given us anything to look forward to i mean usually the things that i look forward to are dumb movies and we just talked about why that's uh i mean on the bright side i do have hbo max so at least i'll be able to see those movies when they come out but I at least hope the theatrical experience is alive and well by next November cuz damn it I want to see Dune on a big screen. I want to see Dune in IMAX man.
1: Oh, I want to see the new Ghostbusters on a big screen. Yeah. Or in IMAX. I want to I want to I, I don't want to miss that experience cuz hey, Ghostbusters. Who are you going to call? Not the 2016 Ghostbusters.
0: Oh. Aww. aww. we'll get there one of these days but we need to talk about Artemis Fowl. And so... Yeah, we've done the 2020 wrap-up. Look, this is have. our 2020 wrap-up episode, guys. It, that's, so. it, was, it was bound to happen. But yeah. now we need to talk about the movie that we think best typifies the, the failed franchise starter experience of 2020, which is Disney's Artemis Fowl. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, the first thing we need to do, though, is the plot in 60 seconds. It's where one of us, at the flip of a coin, recounts the plot of this film in 60 seconds or less, or your podcast is free. Uh so Brett, I'm gonna flip the coin of justice and you're gonna call it in the air right now. Tails, buddy. And hey, it's tails. So you hey, win this one. Hey, hey. Uh so it falls then to me to uh regale you with the plot of Artemis Fowl in sixty seconds or less. Brett put sixty seconds on the clock. Working on it, brother. And I will attempt to remember what happens in this movie. Because honestly, it's not much. All right. Are you ready, sir? I believe I am. If you will tell me when to begin. All right. Your time starts now. Artemis Fowl is a boy genius in Ireland. His father is, his disappears, but it's discovered that he might be a criminal mastermind, question mark. Uh, And so he goes uh, to try to discover where his father might be. And in the process discovers that fairies are real, question mark. Uh, And so he, um, and then we, start going on about leprechauns and the fairies who are actually cops. Uh, and there's uh, Commander Root and uh, Officer Short. She ends up getting kidnapped by Artemis and he holds seconds. her for ransom for this thing called the Oculus, which is the big MacGuffin of this movie. I don't understand what it's supposed to do, but it, it does something really powerful because everybody wants it. Uh, no one knows where it is. So Artemis holds her for the Oculus or Oculus. Um, they... The, the leper cops break in 10 seconds using a giant dwarf. He finds the Aculas. There's a big fight over it. Um, and, uh, ultimately they use it to get his father out of the prison. And that is time. And that's more or less all that happens in this movie. <clears throat> Pretty much. I love it. didn't remind me. I got to tell
1: you what the, what the name of that police, the fairy police force is called in books. Oh. Um,
0: it's the... It's, it's Leprecon in this movie, which is the dumbest pun name you could possibly imagine.
1: Oh, okay. I didn't even realize they ever said that in the movie, because that's what it's called the books. It's oh, the, they, lower, the Lower Elements Police Reconnaissance Force, the Leprecon.
0: Yeah, they actually, they don't actually ever say it. It's on like a... It, it, the sign is on the... It, it, it appears in one of the underground scenes. Yeah, all the fairy worlds exist underground, uh, but there's dwarves and elves and goblins and um, I guess the leprechauns are the fairies, are they the same thing? No, in this universe,
1: when they say fairies, that's the all-encompassing term for everything: trolls, goblins, dwarves, everything, leprechauns, etc.
0: I see, I see. So, yeah, so the cops are all leprechauns. Uh, there's centaurs, centaurs living underground somehow. Um, it's it's a weird, it's a weird. See, so here's the thing: the concepts I think are fairly interesting, but it's the way they're executed in this movie that I'm not particularly fond of. Yeah, they're they're executed much better, which is why I'm kind of curious to check out the books because, like I said, the concepts are interesting. This movie is hot, wet garbage, but there's there's you can see why someone thought this was a good idea, and I kind of want to see what the good version of this is.
1: Yeah, which seems, seems to be what the books do, because. Uh, because I'll be honest, that, that first, um, like, scene in Haven City, you know, it gives Is that off... What it's yeah, it's called Haven City. Oh, um, okay. It, I mean, it, it, look, Mulch slash Josh Gad mentions the name of it. But you, I mean, I, you probably started tuning out this movie before I did, but...
0: Honestly, as soon as I started, as soon as Josh Gad started talking, I kind of started tuning out. Um...
1: <laughs> Which, side note, just... RIP to Judy Dench and Josh Gad's voices in this movie uh, their vocal cords have got
0: to be just shredded to hell So speaking of you know weird vocal choices last week we talked about Kira Knightley and Nutcracker who is doing some weird high-pitched thing with her voice This week we have not one but two actors doing the Christian Bale Batman thing um, for reasons that legitimately I can't fathom. I don't know why they're making this choice, why this is the choice they've decided to go with, but it is mind-boggling. And that they even make like a meta joke about it halfway through the movie? What is that meta joke? Because you had you mentioned it and I didn't catch it.
1: Oh, oh what's, he, what's he say? When Mulch is talking to uh, Judy Dench's character, I can't remember her
0: name. Root. Root, Commander Root. Um, I've got the quote for you, by the way. Uh, Listen to the two of us grunting at each other like a pair of hippos with a throat infection. Yeah. (laughs) Which, honestly, not far off. Not far off at all. But no, that is not one that I caught in the film itself. So I, I, I must have completely... Here's the thing, listener, dear listener. I do not understand. I cannot fathom in the depths of my bones the appeal of Josh Gad. I don't get it. I I don't Uh, someone please Brett please explain to me why Josh Gad is so popular and why Disney wants to cast him in literally everything here's the thing I don't
1: really know either Uh, I mean it's not it's not that I don't think he's like a good actor because like he's fine and I, I like him as a person because I
0: watch him do all the reunited
1: apart stuff and that's been fun I, I thought he was
0: fine in the original cast recording of the Book of Mormon. That's probably the only time I've been like, okay, Josh Gad.
1: Yeah. And, but, I, I mean, I don't know. hes I mean, he's
0: just... He always seems like he's having a good time, regardless of what he's doing. Maybe that's why people like him, because he's just like... He's just, he seems like a oh, happy-to-be-here kind of guy.
1: Yeah, and, that could absolutely be what it is, honestly.
0: But I just... i I watch it, and I'm just like, he's he's not good enough of an actor that I feel like he's able to convincingly pull off what he's being asked to pull off here. I mean, he, he looks the part certainly, but then he opens his mouth and I'm like, Nope, Nope. nope, 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 nope. Yeah, even, even though Mm-mm. honestly he was, he was
1: my favorite part of this movie, but I mean, now that's, I say that, but like, you know, if, 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 if the movie is like a one, Uh, you know, he maybe brings it up to like a 1.5. Like, it's not like, just because he's my favorite part of
0: this movie does not mean that I liked the performance at all. Sure. Uh, Um, Here's the thing. I think the only person giving a performance that is completely outside the league of this movie is Colin Farrell. But he actually, Colin Farrell actually seems to be finding the truth of the character. And then that he's playing a loving father. Like he comes through at the end and I'm like, oh, finally like someone's actually doing work in this movie um but it's way better than the movie deserves um because the problem that i have with gad is similar to the problem that i had with Kira knightley and nutcrack these mm-hmm. movies are very similar in that you've got like these magical realms and this kind of ordinary child kind of stumbling into them uh, obviously the trappings are very different but at least in that sense very similar um but keira knightley and josh gad are both just going way too big for this movie you've also got the stately british character actresses kind of slumming it in roles that are kind of beneath them in both of these movies with helen Mirren and nutcracker and judy dench in this movie and you're kind of like wow how the mighty have fallen this is this is not good but yeah it's a very weird choice to have
1: not only judy dench uh play that role but also because there's a whole conceit in the book that the leprechaun police force is very misogynistic. um, And that uh, the commander root who is a guy in in the, in the books Mm -hmm. um, really pushes Holly super hard because she needs to succeed because otherwise the higher
0: ups are never going to give the time of day to another female if she fails. And I, I think I read somewhere in the limited amount of research I did on the source material, that her character is, like, the first female to be made a, like, captain on the force? Is that is that accurate?
1: I think so. Okay. Um, so, so to, like, to gender swap Commander Root completely just throws that entire storyline right out the window.
0: Like, generally I'm okay with gender swapping, but that seems like a, a subversion of a... A pretty major theme within the text, and therein I think it becomes problematic
1: yeah yeah normally i don 't mind gender gender swap race swap i don 't give a crap, but like this Who care's
0: not me yeah i don't i don't care,
1: but like this this is like a central part, like you said, of like the narrative, And yeah. you 're completely throwing it out the window for apparently no reason other than just
0: because you could get Judy Dench in your movie, we can get Judy Dench in the movie, although I will say I chuckled when she lands out outside of foul Manor, and the door swings up and she just in that, you know, Christian Bale, Batman voice top of the morning. <laughs> Look, cause I that got a Judy chuckle out of me. Judy Dench, Judy Dench
1: going to do good things. Cause she's Judy Dench.
0: Right. I mean, even a stop clock is right twice a day, but I feel similar to her that I felt about Morgan Freeman and Nutcracker. She's just, just kind of showing up. Like she's not doing anything particularly special. Uh, this is not her work on notes on a scandal. Uh, I mean, she's just she's just kind of there, adding that gravitas that comes because she's freaking Judy Dench.
1: And honestly, that's how I felt about Colin Farrell. Colin Farrell maybe not have maybe may not have phoned in his performance, but he was also there for
0: maybe a total of ten minutes, if that, in the entire and, movie. But but again, it it goes back to that: how do we know this is going to be a franchise? Well, he's going to be back to do bigger stuff in the next one. You know, so we signed him on for to do a little bit in this one, and then he's going to be back and doing a lot more in the next one. Which doesn't make any freaking sense because the dad is dead in the books,
1: I believe, I'm pretty sure. I was
0: going to say, is he dead dead or is it one of those everyone thinks he's dead and then he comes back later?
1: I mean, look, I don't know about that because I haven't read them. I've only done the base research. But the other big thing is that, and this is why I'm pretty sure he's dead, is because Artemis Fowl Jr.'s mom, like... Loses her mind after Artemis Fowl Senior dies and is like a reclusive madwoman up in the attic, who who is not even mentioned in this movie. No, nowhere at all. And like that's sort of that's sort of his motivation. Like he's he's very much yes, he's the villain of the main book, but he's the first book. But he's 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 an antihero. He's he's a villain with a sad backstory. He's you know his his mom has gone crazy because his dad just died. And so he has to be this asshole to sure. get his family's empire back. Right. Um, but
0: none of that context and none of that nuance is in this movie at all. Context, nuance. Here's the thing. This movie, is the characters are wafer thin at best. Like there's, there's a scene late in the film where, and I, don't even, I didn't even know it was late in the film because it feels like something that happens halfway through the movie. Um, but it's late in the film and it's but meant to be at a big like emotional moment where the 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 butler character uh who we shouldn't call the butler but nowhere does that ever come up that we're not supposed to call him the butler other than when josh gadget says don't call him the butler you expect someone to call him the butler and then like him to go ballistic on them never happens um he almost dies and then gets saved at the last minute when magic comes in like the magic gets reinstated and so she can go and save him again. And like, it's supposed to be this really emotional moment where Artemis like recites the poem that his dad did. And I'm like, I don't feel anything because these aren't characters. These are ciphers at best. These are, these are people you've told me about, but you've done nothing to connect me to them. They're not well-rounded. They're not fully formed. It's almost like Disney expects you to have read the books and have some goodwill for these characters ahead of time so that you come in experiencing these emotions because they don't do any work to get you to a point where you feel like you're supposed to care about these people. And then, like, she comes through and heals them with the magic, and I think I wrote in my notes, oh, great, because, you know, we wouldn't want something to actually happen in this movie, you know, for there to be any sort of catharsis or learning or literally anything that happens in this movie. In my notes, I was... It's
1: ridiculous. I was writing the dom dying was the most contrived melodramatic ridiculous thing before i had even stopped writing that note he was revived and i had to add in and then not dying to the middle of that sentence yeah why it was it's just so contrived just
0: to get some emotion out of you for a character you don't you're not attached to yeah and then to immediately double back on it like it's it's worse than not to talk about Star Wars again three weeks in a row, but it's the scene in Rise of Skywalker where, oh, no, Chewie's transport blew up. Oh, no, wait, he's okay. He was on the other one, like, immediately. Oh, no, he's on the other one. We don't get any time to mourn the loss of a character that we're supposed to care about. But this is even worse because it's a character we don't even care about.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, just, I rolled my eyes and went on with it, especially because
0: I I have an eye roll emoji in my notes. <laughs> <as> typing, <laughs> That's
1: that's insane. Especially because like the way that they turn it around is like happens so fast. Like <laughs> there's there's no setup for anything. It's just okay. Like the whole time freeze thing. Why, like how does why does that make sense? And then like the army. Why suddenly, does it work
0: sometimes and not others?
1: Yeah. And then why why does the you know the 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 leprechaun army is like okay they're working for commander brute and then this you know guy that's supposed to be this sniveling asshole takes over so they're you know and they automatically all for for five minutes for five minutes uh (laughs) and so
0: they're and then they're all suddenly evil um there's there's no it's it's almost like there's no conflict in this movie because everything is just dispatched and handled so quickly like there's no time for anything to be a menace. There's no time for anything to be a threat because it's all, oh, but we, we cause we've got to get to the next thing. So we just keep moving. We keep moving past it. The, the biggest threat in the movie is the troll. And even that you're just like, well, you know, they're going to handle it. Yeah. Like the, there's, I, this, this movie leaves me with more questions than answers. Like the whole movie, the, the character of Holly short acts impetuously kind of does her own thing. But at no point is that ever a problem for her. Like she gets kidnapped, but that's, but it ends up turning out okay because it's Artemis Fowl and he's the hero of this story, despite the fact that he's actually the villain, but really he's the hero. But like she gets out and the time lapse or whatever it is, is the time freeze is failing. And there's a human who's falling off a boat and is going to die. They're like, don't save that human. And then she does. No consequences. Nothing bad happens to her because she stopped and saved that human. Like it just, it, it just, it just keeps going. Like there's there's no there's no conflict. There's no consequences. That nothing happens in this movie. No,
1: and apparently the the reason they use time freeze is because like there's something I, I don't I, I don't know the whole thing. It's a tangential bit of lore. That like your favorite bits of lore. I know. Uh, so you think I would know more? That like there's something about the dawn and like that's why they use the time freeze dome is like to stop the dawn from coming okay whenever they have to get something done mm-hmm. I, i'm not really sure you, you know fans of this book series out there
0: please forgive me um yeah sorry we're we're woefully underread on this although we kind of want to become better read because it's like i said it's got to be better than this and then also honestly the, the book sounds really interesting so that's why they use
1: it, but like in this movie, they don't really seem to understand why that's a thing. like why do they use the time freeze uh in this in this movie? I mean, the first time when they use it against the troll, that makes sense. it makes sense sort of because it doesn't stop Holly though like we don't we, it never explains why the fairies inside of the time freeze don't get frozen when it happens i mean i would I always assumed it was just because of magic. Well right, I mean, a wizard did it and, uh.
0: and, and apparently, and apparently it's it can be localized because the time freeze is only affecting. Stuff outside of Foul Manor, but not anything going on inside of Foul Manor, which is again something they don't really bother to explain beyond, oh, this is a thing that, uh, that we can also do. Yeah, I
1: think they like every time they do one, they mention something about I want to time freeze inside or in, in like an inner time for something to reference. And yeah. that, like that's why it's only happening outside of the mansion, but not inside of it. I, right. I don't know. They don't explain anything. There's so much like just from the tangential research i've done i know that this is a very lore dense series and they're
0: trying to cram so much of it into world building done wrong is, is this movie because you can tell they're trying to do a lot of work to build the world it, ultimately none of it's effective unfortunately
1: no it all falls flat because you're not giving me any context for any of it bingo that's and that ultimately is the problem you're not explaining anything it's 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 sort of the Constantine problem They're like I get it it's sometimes it's cool if you do it right where I don't have to explain anything this stuff is just cool but you also have the Constantine problem where like sometimes I want an explanation because what you're showing me doesn't make any sense not even it's a li- little bit
0: yeah it doesn't make sense on its own I need you gotta give me something to work with
1: yeah and then if you you know the Constantine problem if you do show me how something works don't change how it works
0: later in the movie <laughs> Yeah. So, so Brett, I have two questions, which are potentially multi-part questions, Mm -hmm. uh, depending on how the answer to the first question goes. Uh, Question number one: Is Juliet a character from the books? Yes. Okay. Follow-up question: Does she add anything to the narrative in the story, or does she function much like she does here, in that she's just around? I assume the reason she's here is because she's in the books, because she does. Nothing in this movie.
1: So, from again the you know surface level research I've done, uh, mm-hmm. she does even less in the books, I guess. Oh,
0: delightful. Yeah. So they try to flesh her out in the movie and fail miserably. I was going to say, there, there, the the idea that any character in this movie is fleshed out is laughable. Um, but I'm I'm sitting there I'm watching this and I'm just like, okay, I know she's here because she's in the book. I I pray she does something in the book because otherwise this is. This is the most pointless character in the history of, of fiction. Yeah, she makes sandwiches. That sandwich, can I just say, I wanted to know every, every ingredient in that sandwich because I wanted to try to replicate it. It was one of the most delicious looking sandwiches I've ever seen. And it's on screen for maybe half a second.
1: Yeah, I'm sure you can do some research about it or wait for the Binging with Babish episode on it.
0: Yeah, maybe. Well, I doubt he's ever going to cover it because <laughs> this, this movie is quickly becoming a movie that does not exist. Yeah, you're not wrong there. Okay, so that that's my first question. Second question. Are you familiar with the the term Mary Sue? 100%, yeah. Explain what a Mary Sue is. Um
1: it is a usually a female character that can do no wrong and has the, the, no consequences. She is all powerful, can do all things and cannot be stopped. She's the term originates from um, a fan fiction author that she wrote a fan fiction that self-inserted her, um, into that character and she, nothing bad ever happened and she could solve every problem. Okay.
0: Yeah. That's, that's uh, Mary Sue. Follow-up, uh, two parts, two, yeah. uh, a two-part follow-up question. Sure. Is there a male male equivalent? And if so, is Artemis one of those? Cause it certainly seems like he is.
1: Uh, That term is referred to as a Gary Stew, I believe, is what people have come to call him. Okay. Um, And
0: yes. Okay. Because again, it's one of those like, you have to show that he's super cool and is thinking five steps ahead of everybody, but also like, everything works out exactly. And the only time something might not work out exactly, it's reversed because magic. So it, it, and again, that removes any and all tension from the movie. Uh, there are no stakes to this movie at all because the characters already thought everything out. Yeah, because
1: in, in the books, he is that smart, but the conceit is that he's the bad guy. So that gives him some, some that nuance. Tension. That creates tension. But here, he's a super genius like in the books, but there's no tension because he's the good guy from the
0: start. Because he's he's not a villain, he's misunderstood.
1: <laughs> so yeah the they try end, to do
0: that oh come on at the end you've got that payoff line of who, who do you think you are oh i'm the i'm artemis fallon i'm a criminal mastermind how are and you no, a
1: criminal mastermind exactly what have you done what,
0: what have you what done it, to be a criminal mastermind what if exactly are what exactly about you is criminal sir um it, it it falls completely it's meant to be like this ba exit line and it just falls completely flat because again there's there's nothing to it
1: it, it feels like it's from a different version of this movie
0: it does very much and for all i know there might have been an original cut of this movie that is more true to the source material and then disney got its hands on it and disneyfied it um which i wouldn't put past this movie uh, or disney at all no apparently not the, the, the
1: screen there there's four screenwriters for this movie um and then kenneth brown eyes come out and basically taking responsibility for the bad adaptation. Um, even though we all know that's just him taking a bullet for the
0: four screenwriters. I mean, here's the thing about Kenneth Branagh. I like Kenneth Branagh. Uh, you and I both agree that his Hamlet is one of the, one of the great all time Shakespeare adaptations. hundred um, percent. I love that. I honestly love that movie. And
1: I'm not really that big of a fan of Shakespeare,
0: but ever since 2010 ish, Dude has really seemed to want to be a franchise filmmaker. Let me show you the receipts. In 2011, he directs Thor for the MCU. And that was back when Marvel was in their phase of let's get established directors who are good at like one or two things. Like we talked about this a couple of weeks ago with uh, in The Rocketeer with Joe Johnston. They bring him on to do Captain America Winter Soldier. Why? Because the dude's really good at 1940s period pieces. So bring him on, let him do that thing he's really good at, but kind of adapted into a superhero realm. Kenneth Branagh, what does he do really well? Shakespeare adaptations, which up to that point is mostly what he had done. He had directed Henry V, Much Ado About Nothing, A Midwinter's Tale, Hamlet, Love's Labor Lost, As You Like It, an adaptation of The Magic Flute. He had also done an adaptation of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. He'd done a couple non-Shakespeare related films as well. And then an adaptation of the play *Sleuth*, but interpersonal relationships in a very Shakespearean sense. So let's bring him on to *Thor*, where you've got this interplay between these two brothers, this King Lear-esque figure as Odin, the king. It's all kind of there, um, but so that that's kind of the thing he does. Three years later, he directs the second attempt to revitalize the Jack Ryan franchise. Uh, Jack Ryan Cole and Shadow Recruit starring Chris Pine and Kevin Costner and Kenneth Branagh himself is doing a weird Russian accent uh, a movie we will totally talk about on this podcast one day the year after that Disney taps him to do their live action Cinderella which is if I'm recalling correctly the movie that kickstarts the let's do every Disney movie in live action I believe it's, so, either, yeah. it's either that or Jungle Book like it's one of those two I'm pretty sure it's Cinderella okay Um, and then two years after that, he finally directs a movie. Uh, and and again, it's another, like, this could be a franchise thing, but it actually gets him a franchise, Murder on the Orient Express. It's got an all-star cast, Kenneth Branagh in the lead. It's a murder mystery, but I mean, you've got Johnny Depp, you've got Michelle Pfeiffer, you've got Josh Gad, like you've got a really great cast that's kind of in there and surrounding him, but that movie weirdly is a hit. So he gets his franchise for that. Uh, 2018, he makes a movie called All is True, where he plays Shakespeare. And then this year, he directs this. The next movie he's got coming out next year is the sequel to Murder on the Orient Express, Death on the Nile, where he's back with a ridiculous mustache and another all-star ensemble cast, including, uh, I think, Gal Gadot is in that. Was Leslie Odom Odom Jr. in the first one, or is he in the second one? Um, I don't know.
1: I didn't see it, even though I wanted to. It's good. Anything. It's not yeah. bad.
0: No, I need to it's see it. It's really not bad. Uh, Annette Benning is in the new one. Don French, great. Uh, Army Hammer is in the new one. Rose Leslie. Sophie Okinedo. Oh, I love her. Letitia Wright, fantastic. So you've got some Russell Brand. So you've got some good, some good actors. Jennifer Don French and Jennifer Saunders in a movie together. Shut up. I am there. Ab Fab, the Ab Fab crew back. Absolutely. I love it. Um, so yeah, you've, you've got a really great ensemble. So Leslie Odom Jr. must have been in the first one, Murder on the R Express. But I mean, you've got like a another, again, just a really great cast of of people there to support him. And ho- hopefully if that one does well, he'll get to do a third one. I mean, because that's Hercule Poirot. That's a series of, of novels written by Agatha Christie. And then after that, we
1: get um, <clears throat> the Hercule Poirot benoit blanc crossover movie um, oh man don't knives out on the orient express i love it (laughs) and i love it it's great we love it we love everything about it
0: uh if if only that were a thing that were absolutely possible it is unfortunately not but if it were i would be there for it
1: Absolutely,
0: 100%. 100%. Good. Greatest heavens, crossover great. in history.
1: Just the Absolutely. both of them trying to solve a murder mystery together. Could you imagine? Two,
0: two sleuths with bizarre accents um just trying to outdo one another, played by two of the hammiest of British character actors, Kenneth Brana and Daniel Craig. Like, I am on board for this, this imaginary crossover that you've just invented, sir.
1: Yeah, somebody, somebody, uh, get in touch with the higher ups
0: at these studios and get that, get that in the process. Let's go. That is a shared universe. I didn't know I needed it until just now. Yeah, that is, fan freaking tastic. But no, but that 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 for me is the interesting arc of Branagh's career is the post two thousand ten. I want to direct a franchise, like arc of his career where he's just going out of his way to try to direct franchise starters. And he does it like three or four times before he finally gets a success. Like it, it, it I. It's almost like the dude's out for a paycheck because those movies probably pay pretty well. But like, why Kenneth Branagh? Why do you need this? Like you're a very well respected actor and director. Like you don't need to start a franchise. I, I don't. I don't get it. But I mean, he's got his Hercule Poirot thing that he's doing. Have at it, buddy. I hope. I hope it brings you happiness because I. I mean, I'm having a good time with it. I don't dislike it.
1: Yeah, maybe he just wants a a steady paycheck. Like he's
0: Winston. He's, you know, if there's a steady paycheck in it, I'll believe whatever you want me to believe. Whatever whatever you want me to believe. Yeah, man. It oof. But but this movie, uh, misstep, big, big old, big damn misstep for for Kenneth Brown on this one.
1: Yeah, it's just a big
0: old mess. It is. It here's here's another weird and I think this one's actually the book, not the movie. Um is it just me, or are all the names of all the characters just really obvious? Uh, uh, yeah, I mean they haven't—they didn't really change any of the names. As a far dwarf as I know. that digs, whose name is Mulch Diggums. A centaur named Foley, because yeah. Foley's a baby horse, you see. Right. right. Uh, yeah. An, an underground cop who's old and crotchety named Root. A leprechaun named Short. Yeah. Uh, a character who knows everything called Artemis. Like, it just, I, I don't know. Maybe my beef is with Owen Colfer, but this kind of seems a little lazy. No. Or just like putting maybe a little too fine a point on it.
1: Look, man, I can tell you from experience that coming up with names for an entire novel series with characters is not the easiest thing in the world. And sometimes you just oh, want to yeah. fall back because you can look at the name of the police force to get an idea of like what this guy's trying to do with names.
0: Sure, sure. I'm not going to begrudge him it. I just, I, it, it, it kind of took me out of it in spots because I'm just like, oh my word. Because it just, it feels like something's just trying to be too clever and isn't really as clever as it thinks it is, kind of a thing. Yeah. 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 I don't know. It's I don't know. I don't have it, a problem with it. I did
1: it, it never, I did honestly, didn't occur to me that much. Like, it, mulch diggums just, Sounds like a really made-up dwarf name. Like it's, it's something you would name your dwarf in D and D. But like, that's the only one that I was like, yeah, that's a super made-up name. The other mm-hmm. one, like, sure, you know, her name's short. Her name's Dude, I didn't, I didn't even make the connection of the root thing. So that's you know, that's just I, look, man. To each their own, I guess.
0: I, I guess as I was as a, a butler whose name is literally butler. I didn't, I didn't throw that one out, but. Yeah. I I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It just, it took me out of it. I didn't, it wasn't my thing. Well, good for reading
1: the books then, I guess.
0: I, I guess. I don't know. I still kind of want to, but maybe. I don't know. We'll see.
1: Wow. Is it really but, that bad? Jesus Christ, Steven.
0: I don't know. I But <laughs> here's the thing. These are not written with a guy like me in mind. These are written for kids. And that's kind of what I ultimately have to realize is it's a children's series. But by the same token, I'm like, okay, I get it, fine. This is kind of like one of those things like you expect as kids grow older, they'll start to like put some of these things together. Whereas I'm making these connections instantly and going, okay, yeah, great, bravo, let's move on. But but again, I'm not the intended audience for this. I'm not a, i am not would never have been because these were written for kids after I was already an adult. Yeah, they started in 2001 actually. So I was, I was a junior in high school.
1: So I... I was graduating high school. Yeah, so I guess- I guess I could have started reading them when they came out, but that was, you know, that was... Too cool for school, probably. I was, that was, yeah, I was way too cool for that shit. <laughs> no, I wasn't, but... <laughs>
0: okay. I thought I was. Fair enough. Uh, I wish I could give you a box office for this movie, but uh, as we kind of talked about at the beginning of this episode, uh, the theatrical experience is broken this year, uh, so it was released directly to Disney+. Plus. There is a box office for that week. Uh, that it dropped, which is June 14th, 2020, but Artemis Fowl doesn't appear anywhere on it because it wasn't released to theaters. Um so and the movies you do have are like things that are running at drive-ins most likely. Uh your top five Sonic the Hedgehog, Gone with the Wind, The Hunt, Birds of Prey, and Onward. So you know, a lot of a lot of holdovers from uh, the winter months and then a movie that was released in the 1930s. Yeah. so really if you want if you want to get a barometer
1: for what people thought i mean i'm sure you can check out the thermometer score that you're about to give us and
0: whatnot what people thought of it sure and that that probably and honestly now now that i'm rethinking about it gone with the wind was probably only number two uh because um it had been taken off of hbo max b due to the black lives matter protests and so that was probably a counter protest measure by terrible people is my guess oof yep Yep, yep, yep. Well, hang on a second. Let me check Rotten Tomatoes here. Uh, there is no thermometer score and no audience score because there is not a consensus yet uh, for this movie. Uh, so there you go, Artemis Fowl. Not anything on the thermometer score. This is kind of the danger of doing newer movies, I guess, particularly movies that didn't get a theatrical release. Yeah, right now this this is a bad look for us. Uh, we oh. don't have any.
1: We don't have any concrete proof that this wasn't going to be a franchise. Right now, uh, we know it's not trust us it's not but trust. but we don't we don't have any concrete proof of that but just just trust us
0: it's not. well we've still got a couple more metrics but but as i mentioned at the top of the episode this is this is something that i had on my list even before it was released directly to 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 streaming and it was one of those things like disney could have probably held off on the release date of it like they did a lot of their other things that they knew are going to make money like all their marvel properties you know all the stuff that they had planned for this year that they knew were, was going to make money. They pushed back. Versus this, they just were like, oh, let's just dump it on Disney Plus. As the day they made that announcement, I put it on our list. And you're like, isn't that a little soon? And I went, trust me. If they thought this thing was going to make money, if they thought this thing was going to be a hit, they'd have waited. And then we, then the movie came out. We started to hear the response, and we're like, yeah, right call. Uh, so, I mean, that was kind of my initial move. Now now, now that move means nothing because Warner Brothers literally just did that for their entire slate next year. But Disney would still hold off if they thought it was going to make money. Uh, they realized that cutting their losses and dumping this on streaming, probably just going to be a lateral move for them. And I ultimately think they were right because this is not a very good movie. There is a Metacritic score, however. It is 31 based on 33 critic reviews. That is bad. That's out of 100, so bad. And then there is the Letterbox score, which is 1.3. Um, Brett, how did you rate this movie? Uh, a little bit lower than that. I gave it a one. Honestly, same. Yeah. I know In I fact,
1: have given it a half. But, you know.
0: I I thought about it pretty hard but then I was then I then I looked back at some of the other movies that I gave a 1 and I don't know if it's worse than Gods of Egypt. For all its flaws I don't know if it's worse than Gods of Egypt. I haven't solved that crisis yet.
1: <laughs> and I I found, you know, very very minor redeeming qualities about it. There's a couple things that mainly a couple things that Josh Gad does, that got a legitimate chuckle out of me beauty um, Dench growling top of the barn. Yeah, that door opens. Um, is, the the scene. Honestly,
0: that's probably my favorite line reading of the movie. <laughs> the
1: the scene where they're all standing there and uh Holly is talking to to Butler and she's like, "I'm going to need my gun back." And he goes to reach for it and it's not there. And Josh Gad just slowly pulls it out of his jacket.
0: I like, did <laughs> get a chuckle out of me. That was did, kind of funny. Yeah, I did get a chuckle out of that. That's true. Yeah um yeah that that may be the only josh gad moment that got that got a chuckle out of me but yeah it happened yeah Um, so
1: it doesn't deserve a half a star
0: because there wasn't anything about gods of egypt i liked except for chadwick boseman so that's all oh yeah it it might be just uh, a hair better than gods of egypt which i also give it one star too um here's the thing i have i've never given a half star to a movie you'll know a movie is truly egregious when i give it a half star um you gotta I got to wonder how bad something has to be if you if you haven't given anything a half star yet. I mean, I've I've given movies I've watched on Letterboxd a half star. I've just never given any movies I've watched for this podcast a half star. Oh, okay. Got it. Got yeah. It. I mean, I can I can I can take you through my Letterbox reviews and and show you the ones that are real real bad. Nah, we don't got to do that. You're right cuz we actually do have a top 5 list to get to. before before we shut things off uh we did mention i mentioned very briefly in my uh character or in my uh 60 plot in 60 seconds that there was a device called the Aculos, uh which is the magical MacGuffin that can do whatever the plot needs it to do literally so incredibly ill-defined um yeah, because and
1: if you haven't figured that out yet from my descriptions of the, the first novel, it's nowhere to be found anywhere in this series at all. It's the entire conceit of this movie,
0: and it's not in the books anywhere. Yeah, it's uh, is uh, kind of a head-scratcher, but we decided um, to revisit a list, a top five list from our old blog that we used to run. We got five on it before, which kind of in a weird way eventually kind of evolved into what this podcast is now weirdly somehow we went from top five lists to failed franchise starters it made sense in the lead up to it but to say it like that is really bizarre um but we did early for second quarter last year we did uh, on may 14th 2019 our top five movie mcguffins and so we're just going to revisit uh, that list although I think Brett you have made an addendum to your list so it's not the same list on our blog
1: no I swapped out my number five because uh due to do due a couple things uh first uh recent rewatch of the movie at number five of the MacGuffin and the movie at number five
0: um well why and, don't you just start us off and tell us what your number five is and we can just you can just have that a conversation organically oh sure yeah that's a much better idea uh so my number
1: five is the
0: Rocket Pack from The Rocketeer. Hey, that's a movie we talked about recently.
1: Yeah, and my original number five, the one that I swapped out, was the uh, Horcruxes from Harry Potter. And, you know, with the recent developments with J.K. Rowling and her general shittiness as a person, uh, I'm going to sort of scrub that entire franchise from my mind. Yeah, Um, it's it's a net wash. Yeah, so I replaced that number five uh, with the Rocket Pack from the rocketeer because that movie's real real good
0: and, and perhaps just for the sake of clarity uh the webster's miriam webster's definition of a MacGuffin is an object event or character in a film or story that serves to set and keep the plot in motion despite usually lacking intrinsic importance i have always heard it described as the thing the characters in the movie think the movie's about while not actually being the thing the movie's about yeah,
1: which the, the rocket pack is important, I suppose, but it's, I don't the really-
0: Intrinsic importance is, I think, secondary to the fact that it's the thing that propels the plot of the movie.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, so it
0: absolutely works as a MacGuffin. Uh, MacGuffin, a term, of course, invented by the great director, Sir Alfred Hitchcock. I don't think he was knighted, but Alfred Hitchcock. Um, and so my number five, in homage to Alfred- because uh, I, I, I was honor-bound to include a MacGuffin from a Hitchcock movie on a list honoring the term that Hitchcock created. That, that's my own personal hang-up that I had to overcome. Uh, it's Guy Haynes' cigarette lighter from Strangers on a Train, because uh, I haven't seen a lot of Hitchcock movies, and that's one of my favorites of the ones that I've seen. Uh, I actually liked, I think I uh, probably like Psycho a little bit more, but the, uh, the $40,000 that Marion Crane steals... Um, not as not as interesting as uh, as the cigarette lighter that Guy Haynes has in *Strangers on a Train*. So *Strangers on a Train*, Guy Haynes, a cigarette lighter. That's my number five. Uh, Brett, you're number four.
1: My number four is this, from a bunch of different movies. Uh, *The Holy Grail*. Ah, yes, *The Holy Grail*. From *Last Crusade*, from *Fisher King*, from uh with uh, monty python in the holy grail it's in the mm-hmm. title there uh man
0: so many things it's 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 one of those great ubiquitous MacGuffins uh that appears in many films uh my number four is the infinity stones from the marvel cinematic universe phases one through three i mean uh, we we talked briefly in last episode about my enjoyment of at least those first three phases of the mcu we'll We'll see where 2021 takes us with regard to the MCU. But, uh, but those Infinity Stones, man, they did a good job of propelling that whole plot forward and tying all those uh, various elements together into uh, one grand narrative that ended spectacularly last year. So uh, my number four, the Infinity Stones. Brett, you're number three. That is my number three, the Infinity Stones from the MCU. Hey, there you go. So it all, it all kind of comes together. Uh, Whereas my number three is the briefcase from Pulp Fiction because you don't really know what's in it and it absolutely does kind of propel everything forward. And, you know, uh, if you read the original script, it's totally in there, but then it, the, the prop guy got an idea. Why don't we just put a weird light in there? So everyone kind of wonders what it is. And so they put a weird light in there and the rest as they say is history. And you got all these weird theories like, Oh, it's, marcellus wallace's soul because you see he's got the the band-aid across the back of his bald head in that one scene so his soul was extracted and put in the briefcase and that's what they're carrying around and trying to get back to him like all sorts of weird fun theories like that when really what's in the briefcase well it's a light bulb yeah no no light bulb but you know everyone wants it uh
1: brett your number two my number two is the death star plans from the original star wars
0: Ah, the Star Wars. Not a thing we've ever talked about on this podcast before.
1: No, I have no idea what you're talking about. Ah, A a
0: Star War? How ludicrous. A war in the stars? Hmm? Weird. You're you're talking crazy. Uh, Whereas my number two is the Maltese Falcon from the film The Maltese Falcon. Uh, The Humphrey Bogart, uh, John Huston film specifically. Uh, Great movie, great uh, prop, uh, great MacGuffin um and like the the quintessence of this thing is really not about this thing despite the fact that everyone wants to get the grubby little mitts on it uh it's it's a great MacGuffin.
1: is it, uh, it what is is that the original
0: MacGuffin? what's what's the first mcguffin do you know i don't it's i think it's often cited as one of the uh as one of the important original Mac, like one of the important early MacGuffins in film i i would have to do more research maybe it is the original I don't know. Uh, I just know it's a great movie and a great MacGuffin, um, and it looks really freaking cool. I mean, it's it's a it's a jewel encrusted uh, bird statue. How cool is that? Yeah, it doesn't get much better than that. Uh, it's 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 a it's a fa- it's a falcon statue from Malta. That's amazing, and and it it's literally the most priceless antiquity known to man. Mm. I love it. You love it. The American people love it. It's great. Uh, which brings us ultimately to our number one brett what is your number one movie MacGuffin?
1: my number one movie MacGuffin, is the necronomicon ex mortis roughly translated the book of the dead
0: and what movie is that in brett
1: oh come on steven you know
0: you know It's an it's... evil Dead. the evil dead franchise evil dead right i remember we we did something with that vaguely one time um yeah Evil Dead, my number one is one that you've already mentioned. It's deep in your list, number one on mine. Uh, it's the Holy Grail uh, from all those various movies that you mentioned and many, many, many others. Uh, I mean, it's, it's even the MacGuffin of like the King Arthur stories. So maybe that's one of the original MacGuffins uh, is the Holy Grail. And maybe that's why it's number one on my list, just because it's, it's, it's one of the most ubiquitous and uh, most storied of all MacGuffins.
1: Sure. Yeah. Although, yeah, you know, I mean, I, don't, I haven't read the King Arthur story in a while, but it, it's kind of important, though. It's,
0: but again, hmm. the importance is less significant than it's the thing that propels the plot. That's the important thing about a MacGuffin. It's in its own intrinsic value is secondary.
1: Uh, fair it, point.
0: At the end of the day, the Holy Grail is not what the Arthurian legends are about.
1: Hmm. Also, fair point. So
0: uh, some, some others that I had considered for this top five originally, but did not include um, the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, I also at one point considered the Horcruxes, Uh, the Necronomicon, your number one, the One Ring from the Lord of the Rings, and uh, the Pink Panther Diamond from the Pink Panther movies. All uh, other MacGuffins that I love very well. Some more than others. Sure. Uh, Any, any others that you uh, consider or any others that you would uh, enjoy? to mention
1: um i you know a lot of the ones on your list uh definitely are are considered um see the, the money from psycho i guess even though like money is a very uh boring mcguffin i was
0: gonna say it just kind of it seems like a dumb mcguffin to me but
1: yeah but i mean it's it's psycho
0: and it's opera hitchcock he can I, do whatever he wants was mcguffin because he invented the term he invented the term so yep correct 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 Um, so that's our, that's our 2020 episode. Like that's our review of 2020. We've, we've only been doing this for about 17 weeks in 2020. Uh, but you know what? We had a fun time, uh, doing our, doing this podcast and we've got some great things coming up for you, um, in 2021, some things already on the books, some things we have yet to think about and talk about, but we're excited for them and we hope you guys are too. Um, and we hope you continue to join us. Yeah, we're going to have uh, our first guest. We've got our first guest coming up. I'm very excited to have our first guest coming up. Hopefully the recording uh, time that we had planned works for him. If not, then it may be a little later than we had initially hoped. But we do have a guest on the books who will be coming up. Uh, we've got another theme month, not right away, but you know, a little ways into 2021. Um, we, we've got some fun stuff planned. Um, we've got some... Movies that we'll be covering closer to major studio releases should major studio releases continue to happen in 2021. So we, we've got a lot of things that we're looking forward to. Um, so, so don't give up on us, man. Hop on your podcatcher choice, especially if it's Apple Podcasts. Leave us a, a five-star rating and uh, write a quick little positive review uh, about what you like about the show. Uh, we'd really appreciate it. Um, just go, let, help us end 2020 on a bang. Uh, We've enjoyed doing this. We'd like to continue to do it. So um, if there's something in particular you want us to talk about, let us know. You can reach out to us on Twitter at disenfranchepod. You can email us disenfranchepod at gmail.com. Maybe by this point, one of our listeners has emailed us a suggestion of uh, of a failed franchise starter they want us to cover. If not, uh, we'll cover it in 2021. The first person that emails us, that is a promise I made two episodes ago. And I'm going to continue to make it until we get an email. So yeah. Um, Even beyond that, you know,
1: just keep sure. emailing us. Even if we do a fan submitted uh, suggestion, we'll keep that train
0: rolling. We might do an entire theme month of fan suggestions. So I know We Hate Movies does that. They do have a listener request month every every year. So maybe maybe we'll do something like that. But you have to request stuff first. Um, so definitely make requests. We are amenable to requests. Absolutely. Um, we, if you want us to, we'll even shout you out when we do it. Um, you can reach out to me on Twitter. Uh, I'm also on, uh, Letterboxd and Instagram at Chewy Walrus. Brett, turn off your phone. Sorry. And then tell us where we can find you on social media. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Gunslinger Fire. All right. So, uh, that, that just about wraps up disenfranchised for 2020. Uh, so until 2021, uh, I'm one of your hosts, Stephen Foxworthy, from my co-host, Brett Wright, and myself. Happy New Year. Yeah, have a happy New Year. And thanks for sticking with us through this dumpster fire of a year.